and welcome to another exciting edition of Pep Talk, the Persuasive Evangelism Podcast. I'm Andy Bannister uh, from Solas, and I'm joined, well, again, not by my usual uh, uh, articulate and uh, celebrated co-host, Christy Mayer, who is off doing something uh, exciting and Anglican somewhere. Instead, I'm joined uh, by one of my uh, right-hand guys from Solas. I'm joined by Gavin Matthews. Gavin, welcome to uh, the uh, the co-pilot seat. I'm neither celebrated nor articulate, but we'll do our best to fill in for Christy. <laughs> well, if listeners at home could see the set of headphones, I could we could get for glamorous because that's quite the look <laughs> you've got going on with those uh, with those. But um, Gavin, who have we got on the show today? Well, I'm delighted that we're being joined by a good friend of Solas um, coming to us from Motherwell, just on the south side of Glasgow. It's Stephen McCoy, and I'm going to introduce Stephen in a second. Stephen, welcome. Thank you. Good to be here. Nice to see you guys. I read in your little biography that you sent through that you were born in Ethiopia, but that's really not an Ethiopian accent that you're going to charm us with this afternoon. Tell us where you have come from and all of that. Uh, No, it's not. And actually, strictly speaking, I was born in Chester, uh, but it's linked with Ethiopia. I grew up in Ethiopia and where my parents lived, they had no medical care nearby. So they came back to the UK for about six weeks to have me. And I had an uncle at the time who lived in Chester, so we stayed there. I was uh, birthed and then back out to Ethiopia for uh, my first 13 years of life. Wow. But the rest is Ireland. Hence the now you're in Motherwell, and yeah. you are leading an organization called Glow Europe. Just tell us very briefly what that is for people that are unaware of who you work for. Glow Europe is an evangelism organization. Our heart is for Europe. Um, so we have about 80 or so missionaries, mission partners across Europe, mostly during, during church planting or general evangelism. And then here in Motherwell, we've got our training center, our admin center. And our whole vision is to raise up people, to equip them, to, to share the good news and send them out there and uh, support them while they are there. But we're not a controlling organization in that sense. If you find the right people with a heart for the gospel, release them and uh, they'll do the job. And your role within the organization, apart from the, the purveyor of very colorful shirts, for which you are <laughs> rightly famous, uh, what is your yes. job title? Uh, General director, the job title, really look at the whole organization, our different departments, trying to make sure they all blend and work together, but also trying to have a, a focus on where the gospel is needed and how we get out there and, and proclaim it. Mm. So cut a wide brief, really. Yeah. So picking up that um, that idea there, Stephen, of where, where the gospel is needed, one of the things, you know, that I think your role sort of brings is you, you give me the sense of someone who's got your finger on the pulse of what's going on a bit sort of wider context through the, through the college and, and the other kind of writing and work that you do. So look, we had not that long ago, the, the new UK census came out, mm-hmm. um, you know, showing that sort of church going, people identifying as Christians a bit lower than it has been in the past. I, I know some Christians read that kind of stuff and get all doomy and gloomy and it's all depressing and the future is secular and it's all, uh, it's all disaster. I don't get the sense you, you don't strike me as someone who is, who is a pessimist. You don't simply as someone who's sitting there sort of going, Oh, oh it's just a disaster. What is, going on what do you what are the things that give you perhaps cause for concern what are the things that give you cause for for optimism feeling positive in terms of what's going on in the wider wider church and christians kind of reaching out into into culture really easy small question for sure sure uh, to get your teeth into well i'll start with the concerns first of all i mean given given my context ethiopia where i grew up but when i was a kid there were probably about half a million believers in the country they're now 18 million which is more than all of europe put together 
Uh, so Europe and the UK, this is the bit where Christianity is not working well. It's, it's flourishing everywhere, much less so here. So that is a concern. Um, it, it is a, a, a small concern that people who identify as Christians is lessening. And I say small because while it's true data, lots of those folk weren't going to church. They didn't have any real relationship with Jesus anyway. Um, so all we're, we're, we're seeing, I think, in the big picture is uh, more nominal Christians for whom faith didn't mean very much now saying, I, I couldn't be bothered, but they weren't bothered in the first place anyway, I, I don't think. Uh, but that is a cause for concern. And evangelicalism, uh, which is the real core, I, I would say, there are some concerns there over the last maybe 10, 15 years. I think our, our low numbers have, have been maintained because of immigration. Uh, without uh, immigration, I think evangelicalism itself would be uh, struggling, if I'm being honest about that. But there's also a lot to be positive about. Um, I think that true Christians are doing a fantastic job across the country. I go to large churches and small. Uh, some of the small churches I come across, they're not big in number. They are really big in heart, really big in desire, doing some phenomenal things. And they're also quite encouraged. Uh, I, I was in a church not long ago, um, about 30 folk in the church, but they're determined to reach out. They're doing lots of good stuff and they have huge credibility in their area. Uh, and even just this past Sunday, I was speaking at a church uh, down in Ayrshire. It's in a small uh, regional town. Uh, you could drive through the town in literally 45 seconds. Um but their afternoon service had maybe a hundred at it. Great spread of ages, and um, again, a real heart for the community. Uh, relevant in their presentation of the gospel, everybody knows them. Their impact in the schools, as well as um, all other facets of, of the local community, and on a Sunday morning, they they are packed out, and about a third of those folk who come along on a Sunday morning aren't Christians at all. So there is good stuff happening where there is genuine, enthusiastic Christian faith. I think there's growth, whether those churches be very small or large. So there's, there's good stuff as well as the not so good stuff. From speaking to you in Motherwell a few weeks ago, that it's not an even picture across the UK, is it? There, no. there are some places where you can't move for gospel churches, yeah. but other places you've identified in the UK where there are some you know, huge spaces and, and, and nothing going on at all. Um, What's gone wrong and what can we do about those places? My concern, I suppose, really is that when we think about mission, people tend to think of two things. You can either dig deep where you live or, or go abroad. But you're yeah. identifying whole places in the UK where there is nothing going on church-wise. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us about that situation and how we should respond and, and, what, and what you're doing about it as well. Well, first of all, let me say, in some of the more desperate places, it's not always that there's nothing going on, but there might be nothing effective going on. Um, I was in a town which will remain nameless um, for, for obvious reasons, uh, but I, I drove past a couple of churches that are evangelical. They're, they're Bible-believing Christians, but they're very, very small, very elderly, and, and their methods of doing evangelism are at least 60 to 70 years out of date. So while they have a heart, they don't have effectiveness. Um, so that kind of a town does need church planting, because what's there uh, isn't working. Uh, what's gone wrong? I, I think it's it's a number of things, to be honest. 
Um, some of it is just practical uh, people migrating. For example, my perception is that in in, in the southern parts of England, um, there are more strong viable churches than in northern England. Uh, part of that is economic migration uh, and Christians moving to places like London, um, Bristol, uh, Birmingham, Nottingham, where there are jobs, and, and they take their faith with them and do a fantastic job there. So you go to Bristol, full of churches, Nottingham, full of churches. London is is exploding with churches. Um, but some of the northern towns are, are pretty devoid, and, and I would say the same in Scotland. Some of the big cities have strong, vibrant churches. You go out to some regional towns and and, and country areas, not many really strong churches and therefore an, an overall weaker witness. So that that's part of the issue. But a big part of the issue as well is just no longer being relevant. I think sometimes Christians are tempted to withdraw into themselves, to, to maintain their purity, which, of course, is a biblical thing. We were called to be holy. Uh, but sometimes we think that our call to be holy means we don't have anything to do with people outside the church walls. Uh, and therefore, we also confine our evangelism to within our church walls where it's safe, where we can control the conversations. And folk just don't come to church any longer. Uh, so as as you said, there are, there are real black spots. Uh, there are cities and towns uh, in the UK where... Maybe in the town centre there are some stronger churches and folk will come in from the, the suburbs to, to be in church there. You get out to some of the big housing estates, not a lot happening. And it's it wouldn't be unusual for somebody who, who lives in a big housing estate on the edge of a, a city like Newcastle, for example, to go in and, and meet in fellowship with a you know, big church in the centre of Newcastle. Um, it doesn't work the other way out. Um and so you have large housing areas where there's almost nothing happening and no outreach going out there either. The attractional model might pull people to a central location, but if that location is, for example, the centre of the city, uh, but large swathes of the population don't live there, the attractional model doesn't even begin to touch them. So we need to, to really think about that. And uh, you might have strong, viable churches not far away, but not far away isn't good enough, particularly if you're, for example, a working class person who might not have access to a car. Public transport is rubbish on a Sunday in lots of places. Even the practicality of getting to church doesn't make any sense. Uh, so we need to, to, to rethink all of that and, and look at areas where there's either nothing or there's very little viable happening and try to re-reach them again, re-evangelize, I think, big parts of the Britain. Yeah. Do you know, it's interesting the way you you answered that, Stephen. I hadn't um, I hadn't made that connection between actually there are some things in common with rural with rural settings and with very urban settings, depending on those urban settings in terms of where 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 there is activity, where there are where there's a desert of Christians. But let's talk about the rural bit just for a moment because you know, that's something I don't think we talk enough about you know we can get obsessed with cities can't we but to go i think 55 percent of the population of the country doesn't live in a city uh-huh. it's getting close to 50 50 but there's a huge number of people you know who are living in more rural settings what have you seen as some of the ways that we can begin making differences there reaching rural communities because obviously the answer is not to go right let's go for the, the rural places that are middle class and get more bust into the get them all to drive into the cities that's clearly not an answer people need good local christian witness where they are so how do we begin perhaps making inroads into some of those 
those more rural locations. We can talk about the, the housing developments kind of separately, but the rural thing, I'd love your, your thoughts on. Yeah, I think there are times we just need to be a, a bit creative and think out of the box. Um, if I can give you an actual example from, from the Welsh Valley, my wife is Welsh, and one of the most unreached areas are the, the South Wales Valleys. Now, given the Cardiff and Swansea, not far away if you've got a car, um, are, are have very vibrant and strong churches. The, the valleys have been up until very, very recently a, a spiritual desert, even though they were the, the land of revival. If you go back 100 years, uh, you've got lots of empty chapels now that are either pubs or, or warehouses or, or whatever. And there has been of late some church planting taking place, but because it's small villages scattered about, they use... Um, kind of a network model where you might have in a slightly larger town uh, an established uh, church. Um, when I say established, it could be a church of 50 people, but that's for, for a Welsh Valleys context, a really established, strong, almost uh, verging a mega church for the Welsh Valleys. Um, and, and churches like that have begun, say, a house group in a village. Um, and the house group might literally be that, a meeting house, uh, half a dozen people, half a dozen Christians, and the mother church is empowering them just to reach out to their neighbours, to bring neighbours in for events that they do from the home. And by doing that, you can you can begin to reach out to the local community because it, it has to be local. Any small rural area uh, w- will be quite locally focused inevitably. Um, and, and you have all the prejudices uh, that you have of, of big towns or cities or whatever. Uh, so doing stuff locally, having a presence there and sustaining it by a bigger church. Um, and it may well be that house group might never become a church or it could become a satellite church. You don't need to have a huge group of folk to, to be a church. You can have a church of 15 people. That's viable, provided you've got a, a strong local leader in that place to make it happen and the support of, of Christians elsewhere. And they might not be very far away. But that kind of model, I think, is, is really working well. So it, it, it provides the local witness and fellowship, um, but also the, the support mechanism of a slightly larger or more established church. Uh, I think that model could be spread out. Again, go back to the Northeast that I mentioned uh, earlier on. If you, if you take your pencil on a map and draw from Newcastle up to, say, Edinburgh, you're going to pass right through Northumbria and then into the... the um, uh, the southern uh, Scottish counties, it's all rural. And then if you try to look for an evangelical church in those areas, you will find very few. There are huge swathes of the country like that that we just need to reimagine and reach out to. Mm-hmm. The other end of the spectrum, I know one of the bits of work that you do that you're really enthusiastic about is when there's a major world event going on. So when, when the world comes to a city, whether it's, you know, it's the Commonwealth Games or the Olympics yeah. or COP26 in Glasgow, and Glow Europe, you send teams to share the gospel when the world is descending on a particular location. Tell us something about how you've gone about doing that, maybe some of the conversations you've had. And is that a viable, fruitful way of doing evangelism? And if so, how can other folks get involved in that kind of work next time a big event is going on somewhere in Europe? Yeah, it, it's it's really viable and I would say very fruitful. Uh, the most recent team I, I did of that nature was uh, last summer at the Commonwealth Games in Birmingham. We took a mm-hmm. team there. There's a church that uh, actually um, ha- has sent out one of our mission couples who are working in France. So we based ourselves in the church, not far from the city centre. And 
what we did honestly was really, really simple stuff. Uh, I, I wrote a tract. Uh, bespoke literature, I think, is really, really useful. So I wrote a tract, and we spent most of our time uh, just in the busy areas where lots of people were, giving our tracts, having conversations with people, offering to pray with people. Um, there was no preaching per se allowed. Uh, and also interacting with the other groups, because, of course, at these events, you have other religious groups too. So we met loads of Muslims who were there doing evangelism. Um, we met Sikhs. We met Hindus. We met a group of Hare Krishnas, uh, loads of JWs, all doing their evangelism. So that that's also folk you interact with and, and, and talk to. Uh, and you just need to have one little idea that you work with. So the idea I had for that one was we've had all this this self-ID legislation going around. And, of course, Birmingham itself is a very multicultural city. So I thought I'd just go around with, with a camera. I, our, our Glow Media guy was with us. So uh, we were filming all of this and asking for, could we interview them on camera? Ask them just general questions. My first question always was, uh, what is a woman? Uh, which is a, a somewhat uh, punchy question given our current uh, uh, situation. And then you know, can we self-identify? Can we change gender? What do you think of gay marriage? Not that I'm picking those particular issues as such, but that was a current issue. We're dealing with a multicultural city. Uh, and I, I was actually hoping to find a few woke people who could make good, uh, good film. Uh, we found very few woke people at all. Uh, most of the religious folk that we find, they were either Muslims or they were um, uh, folk from the black community who were Christian. Uh, they were the opposite. They, they, they were um, uh, religious, uh, socially conservative, concerned for their kids, very happy to talk. So uh, doing stuff on film led to great, great conversations. Uh, and, and even folk that we did find who uh, were more of a, a woke mentality and wanted to, to say we, we believe in self-ID, we believe everybody has a room, room at the table, that opens up permission for, for a conversation. And all you're doing is talking to people. Now, the fact that there's a camera there, they actually, uh, after a while, forget about the camera and, and they just talk. And it's a great way of just um, being open, being honest, and then sharing scripture with them. Hmm. So talking to folk is, it's, it's never changed since the first century. Uh, you want to do evangelism, you just talk to people. And if you're friendly, if you smile, if you're approachable, have a bit of a laugh with them. Um, it just breaks mm. down barriers. And uh, yeah, these events are, are great. And you meet people that you would never normally meet. There's one lady I spoke to actually when I was giving out these tracts and I had a busker. One of my team is a busker. So he's playing away. And a lady came up uh, with, with two young kids and she had a burqa. Uh, and surprisingly, she took the tract off me and asked me uh, what it was about. And I said, well, it's really about Jesus. Uh, but I want to talk to you about uh, your life and, and, and what your belief system is. And, and her name was Halima. Uh, and I asked her about herself. Uh, to cut a long story short, she was born in Saudi Arabia, migrant parents. She then went back to Somalia, where she's from, fled Somalia because of the danger. She's now living in Norway with her family. They escaped to Norway. And I said to her, are you here in Birmingham for the games? She said, no, I got family in Birmingham. There are these connections all across mm. the world. And she had never, as far as I know, met a Christian before. We had a brilliant conversation mm. together. That kind of thing can happen at these major events uh, that wouldn't happen normally in, in other contexts. Mm. The, mm. Other, um, the other thing I like about that story, maybe this is a, a final kind of sort of thing to explore in the last question, because I'm conscious we're sort of, 
you know, rapidly coming up to 20 minutes, uh, but we can go over slightly. So um, the way that you, you asked, you talked about those questions that you asked, Stephen, you know, the uh-huh. sexuality stuff, the identity stuff. We often run away. I think so one of two things happens. Either as Christians, we run away from those issues. And we say we say we say nothing for fear of offending anybody. Or Christians, kind of, you know, are like a bull in a china shop. They go charging in, you know, sort of culture warring, and there's mess and blood and guts everywhere. But what I like about what you describe is you were basically having a conversation, not not ducking the difficult questions, but then talking about Jesus through them. So talk to us a bit more about that. How how as Christians can we can we use some of these big issues in culture, not as things to compromise on or things to be afraid of? but as ways to open up deep conversations. Well, I just think all these things have a, have a real resonance. Um, I've had conversations this week, by the way, about uh, Kate Forbes here in Scotland, because, of course, she's been standing for the uh, SNP leadership um, and has been panned in the media. So I've just been asking folk, including my neighbour, who's, who's a, a lapsed Buddhist. He's, he's half Chinese, uh, half German, but lives next door to me in Newark Hill. Um, we play chess together. And last Friday when we were playing a game of chess, he said to me, because he knows I'm a Christian, he said, that that lady, Kate Forbes, it's totally unfair the way they're treating her. So I asked him why he thinks it's unfair. That led to a good conversation. Uh, These issues are are pertinent in society. Um, I actually think we make a bigger deal of them by uh, avoiding the issue. And I think if you smile, if you have a warmth, that makes a massive difference if you're non-judgmental, because we're not here to judge people. We're, we're here to introduce people to, to our friend Jesus. Um, our tone has to be non-judgmental, but how we approach the conversation is what warms people's hearts. And, and I don't think there are no-go areas, none at all. We just need to do so carefully and not come across as mean, scolding, um, yeah. unpleasant people. A smile is, is is just key. It's absolutely key. Your tone of voice, your friendliness, that, that'll that melt people's hearts. And if mm. you just go from there and, and keep it conversational, uh, I, I think that's what you do. Just take whatever is in your local newspaper, use that as a basis for a conversation, and it, it, it opens people up. Mm. Well, that's a fantastic piece of advice to to bring this to a, a close on um so much in that in that last 20 minutes Stephen, thank you so much uh for taking the time uh, to talk to us. it's been a real pleasure to have you on uh on the podcast and uh lots of stuff in there and we'll put a link uh in the show notes to uh to glow and the kind of stuff you're doing over there so people who want to follow that up mm-hmm. can click through and find out what's going on um but i'll be back in uh two weeks time uh with another episode of pep talk whether it'll be gavin in the co-pilot seat or Christy but uh, hope you'll be able to join us and if you, remember if you love uh, Pep Talk if you enjoy it please don't forget to subscribe do leave us a review on uh, wherever you get your podcasts from and do tell friends about the show because we'd love to keep on uh, growing uh, and what we're doing anyway thanks for listening and uh, we'll see you again soon bye for now bye